Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God, as we find it written in the epistle of James, reading there in the second chapter, beginning at the tenth verse. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, Do not commit adultery, said also, Do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy that has showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, and be warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, or what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. It is a beautiful morning, isn't it? As I stand here in the pulpit, the sun is on that beautiful east window. I hope that all of us are glad that we are alive, that we are here in church, that here is an opportunity to worship our God. Today, as you know, is the 18th Sunday after Trinity. We are slowly coming to the end of another church year. The Word of God, the text that I just read to you, is taken out of the epistle of James in the New Testament. We find that James is writing to the Christians of the first century, the Christians of his day, and he is talking to them about their faith in Christ. Then he asks them a question about their faith in Christ, and they say it's a very disturbing question, it's an upsetting question. He says, what doth it profit my brothers, my Christian brothers, He says, though a man say that he has faith and he has not works, James says, I ask you, can such a faith save a man? You may say, what does he mean? He is saying to them, listen, my Christian brothers, if you have faith and this faith that you have in Christ shows itself in a life that just doesn't correspond to that faith, if you've got a faith in Christ that shows itself in your conduct, in your speech, in your works, in your deeds, that they just don't stack up when you put them alongside of that faith. He says, I ask you, what good is that kind of a faith? Do you think that that kind of faith can save you? And so he warns them, the Christians of the first century, he warns those who have a faith in Christ and tells them, I warn you that a faith in Christ that shows itself in a life that just is far away and a far cry from that faith. He says, I warn you that that kind of a faith doesn't save your soul. It doesn't bring you eternal life. It doesn't bring you everlasting salvation. A faith that shows itself in a life that it just doesn't blend with that faith. It just doesn't go together. It sort of shouts, it sort of screams when you put that life alongside of that faith. 
James says, I warn you that that kind of a faith, it doesn't save. And today, he talks to you and me, and we all say as Christians, we have faith in Jesus Christ. And James says, I want to warn you that a faith in Christ that shows itself in a life, in speech, in your conduct, in your activities, in your actions, in your deeds, and in your words, that shows itself just simply not to fit with that faith. James says, I warn you that that faith in Christ simply will absolutely not save you. And we may stop and say, wait a minute, James, I'd like to say something to you. We may say, doesn't the Bible say that we are saved by our faith in Christ? and that we are not saved by our life. And we may say, James, I'd like to remind you that if I have faith in Christ, then what difference does it make even though my life is a far cry from this faith? What difference does it make even if my life doesn't blend? Even if it doesn't fit this faith? Wait a minute, James. Aren't we saved by faith in Jesus Christ? And we are not saved by our life. And James would answer you and me this morning and say, you are quite right that we are saved by faith. But James would remind you and me, there is one kind of faith in Christ that doesn't save. There is one kind of faith in Christ that does anything but save. You mean, James says, and I want to warn you about that kind of faith in Christ. It is the kind of faith in Christ that shows itself in a life that is simply a far cry from what that faith ought to be. And James tells us why this faith can absolutely not save us, even though it's a faith in Christ. He says, oh, because that kind of a faith, such a faith that shows itself in life and conduct, where that life and conduct, it just doesn't blend. It just doesn't come together and it just doesn't match. It doesn't go together. It cries, it shrieks when you lay it alongside of your faith. James says that kind of a faith in Christ, this one kind doesn't save. And all because he reminds you and me that kind of faith is a dead faith. That kind of a faith in Christ brings eternal death. That kind of a faith causes Christ to say to you and me, depart from me, I never knew you. That's the kind of a faith in him that Christ will say to you and me, James reminds us, I will spew you out of my mouth. And we may stop and say, this does upset me quite a bit. I have always been taught that I, by faith in Christ I am saved. And that is scripture. And James says, I agree with you, but I want you to know that not every kind of faith in Christ saves you. There is one kind of faith in Christ that does not save. That is that kind of faith that shows itself in your life that your life simply is a far cry from that faith. And James says, I want to warn you, that kind of a faith can absolutely never save you because it's a faith that is deader than a doornail that brings death. And we may say, is that true, that even though I have faith in Christ, if that faith shows itself in my life, and my life just doesn't match, it just doesn't go with that faith, that this faith is a dead faith, and that Christ will spew me out of his mouth, and that Christ will say, get out of my sight, I've never known you. And that is true, because James in the first place would remind you and me that such a faith, this kind of a faith that shows itself in our life, and our life then simply a far cry from what this faith would ask of us, this kind of a faith is clear evidence in your life and mine if we've got this kind. Clear evidence that we have never truly repented of our sins. We, even though, again, we may have told Christ every day that we are so sorry that we regret our sins very much. There is a faith in Christ that does not save, James would remind you. I mean, that upsets us, doesn't it? And he says, this is the kind of a faith. Such a faith does not save. If you've got a faith in Christ and you say, I believe in him as my Savior, but... 
James says, if your life, your conduct, your speech, your actions, if again they just don't blend with that faith, and they are a far cry, James says, that kind of a faith is a dead faith, and Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. You and I may say, oh, I'd like to feel that every kind of a faith saves, even though again it may be this, that my life simply doesn't add up, it doesn't correspond. But if you and I have this kind of a faith, that in your life and mine it simply shows itself that there's a life that's a far cry from it. And then we ought to stop and say to ourselves, how about any repentance? We may say, why? Uh, we may say to ourselves, why? I, I surely, re I tell Jesus every day that I'm sorry for my sins. I tell him every day that I regret that my sins may have brought sorrow to me or to other individuals. But may I say, is that repentance? When you and I tell Jesus we're sorry and we tell him that we regret it, is that the essence of repentance? If we look at our lives and our lives are a far cry from our faith, that's the cheapest kind of repentance imaginable. That's a cheap and a sham variety. Why? What's the essence of repentance? Isn't this the essence of repentance? I've never repented of my sins until I have told Jesus that I'm not only sorry, and I may have cried about them, but I'm sorry enough to quit. I am sorry enough, Jesus, to quit doing those things which I know are wrong. Until that comes in your life and mine, there is no repentance. It's hogwash. It's nothing, again, but something that's a sham. And if in your life and mine we may shout to the highest heavens, I've got faith in Christ. But if when you look at your life this morning, the riot mine, and it just doesn't dovetail. It's a far cry from what faith ought to be. Then we've got to say to ourselves, here's clear evidence. I don't even know what I talking about when I talk about repentance. And therefore, no wonder James says that kind of faith, even though it's a faith in Christ, that kind of a faith, it, it's deader than a doornail. It will bring eternal death. And Jesus will spew you out of his mouth. Why? Because that kind of a faith means this, that we are turning to Christ and we are simply saying, I reject your calls that I should repent. I'm not going to repent. And I'm going on living as I please. And I'm going on doing what I want to do. And I'm going to live as I want to live. And I don't care whether my life adds up or whether it measures up as long as I've got faith in you. And that kind of a faith damns. It's the shamiest thing and the shabbiest thing that you and I could have. What we ought to do this morning is to look at our faith. Oh, we've all got faith, and we all say, well, I believe in Christ. Let's look at it. What about your life and mine? We ought to look at our lives and say, I'm going to be honest. If we look at our lives, what about the life? Does life, does our language, does our speech, again, does our conduct, uh, do our actions, our deeds, and that, do they measure up? Do they sort of blend at least, or do they fight when we lay it alongside of our faith? Uh, are uh, deeds in your life and mine just a far cry? There are a tremendous contrast from faith if we have to look at it and say, oh, there's an awful gap between this faith that I have and my life. Then we've got to say to ourselves, I'm just a sham. Oh, that kind of a faith is deader than a doornail. Christ is going to say to me, get out of my sight, I've never known you. He's going to spew me out of his mouth. Oh, that's a sham, I've never really repented. Then we ought to stop and we ought to say, I'm going to repent for once in my life. I'm going to tell him that I'm not only sorry, but I'm sorry enough to quit. I'm going to stop doing every deliberate, dirty thing in my life that I know is wrong. I'm going to stop persisting in doing things that I know are wrong. Because if I persist in those things, then my repentance is nothing but a mockery. My faith is nothing but a sham. What else can he do? 
even though I say, but Lord, I put faith in you, you'll say, get out of my sight, I don't even know you. And at least we can spare ourselves the delusion of thinking that any kind of a faith in Christ saves. It isn't true. James would remind you and me that faith in Christ certainly saves. And we are not saved by our life. But James says, remember, there is one kind of faith in Christ that simply does not save. And that's the kind that shows itself in a life that's a far cry from that faith. There's nothing that even matches. It doesn't have any similarity. The life shrieks and it shouts because there's no match. It's a far cry. Oh, again, to deliver ourselves from the delusion of that because we have faith in Jesus that we are saved if our lives tell a different story. That the day should not come when we are disillusioned and shall stand before him and he say, depart from me. I don't even know who you are. I will spew you out of my mouth. It's kind of disturbing, isn't it, when we talk about this faith? This is the thing that James, the brother Lord, was talking about to the Christians of his day. He was telling them, what good is a faith in Christ when it shows itself in a life that is a far cry from that faith? There, there's no match. It doesn't go together. There's a wide gap. He says, what kind of a faith do you call that? Where is there any advantage? Can that kind of a faith save? And he tells us, no. And he tells us why, because is that kind of a faith is a dead faith. It brings eternal death. Jesus will say, I never knew you. We may say to ourselves, is that true? We say, well, I, I've always felt that as long as I had faith in Christ, uh, that even though my life didn't stack up, it, it just did not add up, it just didn't match, it didn't even blend, and it doesn't, and it's a far cry that as long as I had faith, everything was all right. And James says, that's why I'm warning you. I want you to know that that kind of a faith, where again your life is a far cry, that kind of a faith will bring eternal death because he reminds us in the second place that he says this kind of a faith, such a faith like this, he says that's clear evidence that you and I, we've never really asked for forgiveness, even though we may say, well, we ask for it every day. We'd like to believe that as long as we have faith in Christ, that I put my trust in him and I say he is my savior, that regardless of my life, that it can, oh, it can just tell another story that I'm saved. But if we have to look at our lives today, we say, well, I, I'm a Christian. I put my faith in Christ. But when we look at our life, we say, but oh, look what it looks like. Uh, it just doesn't blend. And no one would ever imagine that this life could ever blend or match or go together with this faith. It's such a far cry. If that's the case, we must say to ourselves, the kind of a faith I got, well, it's a faith, all right, but it damns. And we may say, how can it, preacher? After all, uh, I ask him for forgiveness every day. But, oh, do you ever realize there's such a thing as a sham asking? There is such a thing as simply a false asking for forgiveness? We may say, well, every day of my life, even though my life doesn't add up, I ask him to forgive me because he died for my sins on the cross. I ask him that his blood may wash my soul whiter than snow. Is that the essence of forgiveness? Is that all it means? I wonder whether there isn't something else in forgiveness that we forget at times. When I ask him to deliver me from the guilt and the punishment of my sin, that is part of forgiveness, but there's another element in forgiveness, and that is that I also ask him, Lord Jesus, I want you to take away my guilt and punishment, save me from hell, but also deliver me from the power of sin. Have you and I, when we've asked for forgiveness, deliver me, Lord Jesus, also from the power of sin? 
so that sin, when it tempts me and I know that it's wrong, that I may have the power in you to say no, that I may so live a life that I will not deliberately do anything that is wrong from power from you. This is part of forgiveness. And unless in your forgiveness and mine as we ask him, there is also we asking, deliver me from the power of sin. Why your forgiveness and mine that we ask, it's absolutely worthless. It doesn't mean a thing. And no wonder, James says, you may think that any kind of faith in Christ says, I want you to know it doesn't. And it upsets us. It, again, it upsets the apple cart. And we say, how about it? James says, there's one kind of a faith in Christ that simply can't save, absolutely not. And that's the kind where when you look at your life, it's a far cry from what faith ought to ask. It just doesn't jive. It just doesn't go together. It doesn't match. They scream. You put them together. The colors just don't go together. It howls. It screams. It fights. It's a far cry, James. said, you think that kind of a faith can save? Why, when we've got that kind of a faith with a sham asking for forgiveness, what are we doing? We're playing Christ for a fool, aren't we? What we're doing in reality, we're saying, now, Jesus, I want you to forgive me. I want you to forgive my guilt and the punishment of my sin. But on the other hand, I don't want you to deliver me from the power of sin. Uh, I want you to deliver me from hell, but I want you to let me go on living as I please. I want you to let me go on just doing as I please, when I please, regardless of whether it agrees with you or not. I'm going to live as I please, but I want you to be sure and see to it that I don't go to hell. When you and I turn to him and say, save me from hell, but let me go on. And let me live whether my life blends, I don't care. I'm going to deliberately do what I want to do. What do I care? No wonder, James says, and it's an upsetting thing, isn't it, to say to you and me, we say we have faith in Christ, we're saved only by faith, which is so true. And James says, I know that. I know that you, we are saved only by faith in Christ, not by our life. But he says, I also know that there is a kind of faith in Christ that damns. And that's the kind where the life shows uh, that it's a far cry from this faith. We ought to say to ourselves then this morning to look again. What kind of a faith in Christ do I have? Do I have the kind uh, that saves? Or do I have this kind that is going to bring death and that he's going to spew me out of his mouth? I ought to stop and look at my life and say, well, how about it? I ought to say to myself, have I really repented and do I really ask for forgiveness? Have I asked him to deliver me from the power of sin? And then if I ask him that, then I ought to say, and I, give me strength that I may do your will, that I may do that which is right in life. And we may say, well, after all, if I try to do what is right, my life can never measure up perfectly to my faith. No one ever said that it would or that it could or that it should. Isn't that right? James, when he wrote to the Christian, he said, if we say that we have no sin, he said, we deceive ourselves. And then he said, if you keep the whole law and you offend in one point, you're guilty of all. He is a very practical person, this brother of the Lord. He is saying, I know this, that all of us are sinners. I know this, that we've all broken God's law. I know this, that none of us can be perfect. But what James is saying, live by the law of liberty. When you have come to faith in Christ, then ask him for strength that no longer will you deliberately sin or persist in sin, even though there will be sins of weakness, things that you do that you don't want to do, things that you say that you didn't want to say, uh, things again that you've left undone that you wanted to do. But James says, when you have really asked for forgiveness, it's going to show in your life. You're going to grow. When you and I then look at our lives and we say, well, it doesn't match perfectly, but it's a pretty good blend. There is growth, there is a semblance, there is a resemblance between my life and my faith. At least there's no clash, it isn't fighting, it isn't screaming when these colors go together. 
then we can have the assurance that ours isn't a dead faith that Jesus will say, I don't even know you, I'll spew you out of my mouth, you make me sick to my stomach, that Jesus will assure us that here is a living faith. There is one kind of faith in Christ that damns. It's a faith, it's a dead faith. The kind that saves is a living faith. And the living faith is one that shows itself that there is a blend, there is a connection, there is a, a match to a certain degree between life and faith. Because when it's a far cry and there's simply no connection, only contrast, then James says that's deader than a darnel that can only bring death. We say to ourselves, what about this thing? It, it upsets us, doesn't it? We say, I'm saved by faith. And we in the Lutheran Church, we've emphasized that and we are. We're not saved by our life. And James says, that is so true, that scripture. But James says, there is a kind of a faith in Christ that doesn't save it absolutely will not save. And that is this kind of a faith that shows itself in your life and your life simply a far cry from that faith. There's just no resemblance. There's no match. There isn't even a blend. It's just simply there's a devastation between the two. James says that kind of a faith, how in the world can you be saved by that? Why, he's already shown us it's a sham repentance, it's false, it's anything but a true one. It's a sham asking for forgiveness. And then he also reminds us that that kind of a faith means this, absolute true evidence that you can see it and I can see it, that we've never really welcomed Christ into our heart as Savior, even though, again, we've let him get as far as the head. We may say, well, now, my life surely doesn't bend. We may look at our lives and say, uh, there's just no connection. It does fight, it does scream, but I've got faith and I think I'm going to go to heaven. James says, if that life of yours or of mine, if it just shrieks to the highest heavens, then again, there is just absolutely nothing that is any similar between the two or similarity, that it's a far cry, James says. Just simply say to yourself, that you've never really invited Christ into your That's a sham. We may say, oh, yes, I have. Well, he's only gotten as far as the head. What kind of a faith is it when life shrieks opposite and against it? Why, it's the same kind of faith that the devil has. Does it surprise you when the word of God says the devil believes? If I were to ask Satan right now and he would appear, he who hates God with a vengeance, and I would say, Satan, we just finished we just finished confessing our faith in the Apostles' Creed, and I'd say, Satan, do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven? He's I absolutely do, and he'd be telling the truth. And I'd say, Satan, do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who has conceived of the Holy Ghost, and so forth? And Satan would say, absolutely, and be telling the truth. Satan, do you believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Christian Church, the Queen of the Saints, the goodness of sin? And he would say, absolutely, preacher, I do, and he'd be telling the truth for once. Then I might say, why, Satan, you are a child of light. Aren't you saved? Then he would look at me and say, saved? Look at my life. Then I would look at Satan's life and I would see him without a conscience. And I would see him was out to bring damnation to every human being, to every Christian especially. I would see him with hatred to God, a life of misery and a life of mercilessness and a life again that is anything but what God's angels should have. And I would say, you got a dead face, Satan. Jesus talked about the same thing, didn't he say? Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, that's faith. Jesus, not everyone that says, you're my Lord. I put my faith in you. You are my Savior. Jesus says, not everyone that says and calls me Lord that has that kind of faith is going to be saved. But he said, he that does the will. What is God's will? Again, it's going to have to be a faith. It's got to be a faith where, again, this life, 
doesn't show itself to be a life of conduct, the speech, the things that we do, that, oh, they're just simply, they, they are just so far away from this faith that they're just a far cry. There isn't even a blend, let alone a match. One screams at the other. It just means that we've let Christ get as far as the head. When 10,000 times 10,000 Christians on Sunday confess their faith in the creed, how many have a faith that only gets to the head? It never got down here. Christ has never been welcomed into the heart. When there is a true reception of Jesus and we welcome him into the heart, then he becomes the Savior and we say, now my, my body becomes your temple and I'm going to live as a temple of God. Now I'm going to show in my life that this is a living faith. I'm going to show that my faith uh, is going to, in my life is going to show that there's a connection between my life. Oh, it's far from perfect, but there's a blend. Anybody can look at the life and know that you, you do dwell in my heart, although I make mistakes every day, but there is a blend, and that there is too. There isn't any sham repentance. There's no sham uh, asking for forgiveness. There's no sham bringing you into my life. And then again, he tells us, that this is the very thing because if it's just been a sham and it's just got as far as the head, what do we tell him? How can that kind of a face? We're telling Jesus, Jesus, I don't really want to go to heaven and spend heaven with you in eternity. Uh, I mostly want to be saved from hell. In other words, we're really telling him if our life simply shrieks with regard to our faith, we're saying, uh, I, I'm just choosing the lesser of two evils. I, I imagine that eternity in heaven is going to be anything but a joy, but it's going to be a lot better than being in hell. I don't really want to go to heaven, but I want to be saved from hell. How can such a faith save? And that's what we tell him. Therefore, again, what we ought to say to ourselves, it's rather confusing at times, isn't it? We ought to say, I'm going to heed this warning of James. I'm going to see to it that the faith that I have in Christ is going to show it in a life. Now, that measures up. I'm going to look at my life, that's the only place I can see what kind of faith I have, and make sure that my life measures up. And in order to do it, I'm going to be determined that I'm not only going to have right living, but I'm going to show mercy and kindness. James told the Christians of his day, he said, if you've got the kind of a faith you ought to have, you will show it in mercy and kindness. He says, what kind of a faith is this? If you see a person come to you and he needs some clothing and he's hungry and you say, good luck to you, my boy, good luck to you, son. I hope that you get some clothes. I hope that you get something on your body and hope you get something to eat. That's just fine. James says, what kind of a faith is that? When Jesus was here on earth, remember, he said at the last judgment, he will put those again who have had faith on the right and others on the left. And then he said, I will look to those on the right and I will tell them why they're there because he said, I was hungry. And he says, you came and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And some people say, well, uh, doesn't that seem to say that we're saved by our works? Not at all. This is a living faith that Jesus is talking about. Christ is saying to those, you had a living faith. And this living faith showed it in a life that blended. You showed it in mercy. This thing of mercy, to show kindness. But we may look at our lives and say, mine's a living faith. It is not the kind of a faith in Christ that's going to damn. Last Thursday was rather an interesting occurrence here at Emmanuel, down in the church parlors. I know you read about it. It was this Luke 14 meal. I mentioned it not to pat ourselves on the back for having done something great, God forbid. But I mention it rather for this, that it was something so little to do. And yet again, what a wonderful thing to show mercy. The Emmanuel Lutheran Church women thought it would be nice 
in Luke 14 to be like the man who gave a great supper. And by the way, it was a supper. They came for supper. We didn't call it dinner, you see. And they came and the idea, you know, that man in the Luke 14, he says, go out into the highways and the hedges and bring in the maimed and the halt and the blind. Bring them in. Yes, and all the crippled. And so it was decided we'd just have a supper. And we'd pick about 25 of the maimed and the halt and the blind and the crippled from Emmanuel, about 50 outside, and uh, the forgotten, the lonely, those who feel they've been passed by by the crowd. Oh, even though they have money, there were some who, again, the world's passed them by. Nobody cared. Never been invited out for dinner in a long time, sitting there alone. The lonely, and so we asked, again, we asked 25 in the congregation and 50 and said we'd come and get you. We personally invited them. The ladies said, we'll come and get you. We'll bring you to the supper and we'll take you home. And they came last Thursday night. And let me tell you, they were here ahead of time. Some of them wondered, what's this thing going to be? What's, what's the catch? Uh, why would any church want to have a, a supper uh, for us, the forgotten, the lonely, the, the maimed and the crippled and the halt and the blind and uh, they came and we, we had a supper. When we sat down, a little over a hundred of us, and we had a nice meal together, we sang together, we laughed, we joked, we prayed. It was my privilege to have stood at the door when they left. They came in wheelchairs, they came with their walkers, they came with their canes, and some of them, again, came only because people could hold them up. One lady said, uh, don't we have to pay for this? Oh, no. And one said this to me, and I shall never forget it. She looked up at me, and she smiled, and she said, This is the happiest day of my life. And I thought, Oh, God, if this is the happiest day of her life, such a little thing as to have a supper for a lonely person, she must have seen some tremendously unhappy days that just to give a meal in mercy in Christ's name would have her to say, This is the happiest day of my life. Oh, again, how far that little candle throws its light, so shines a good deed in a naughty world. Oh, a little deed. I mention it. Sometimes you say to me, what can I do in mercy and kindness? The little things. Like Jesus said, a man may be lonely, you give him something to eat. He may be thirsty, you give him something to drink. He may be a stranger and you take him in. He may be sick and you visit him. I mentioned last Thursday night only because it was a little thing. But, oh God, who can measure what a little mercy, a little kindness can do? Giving you and me the assurance that ours is a living faith. That life, it blends. There, there's a match. And to have him say when he comes at the last day, I know you. Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you with the foundation of the world. Yours is a living faith. Oh, to God that we could say, spare me from a dead faith, spare me from a faith where my life is a far cry from this kind of a faith. Oh, if we could walk the glory road and we could dedicate our lives and dedicate our hearts to Jesus and sing on the glory road what a life it could be. Oh, yes, living for Jesus, a, a life that is true striving to please him in all that I do, yielding allegiance, glad-hearted and free. This is the pathway of blessing for me.
Oh, Jesus, Lord and Savior, I give myself to thee. For thou in thy atonement didst give thyself for me. I own no other master. My heart shall be thy throne. My life I give henceforth to live. O Christ, for thee alone, the joy of the glory road, a living faith. Come, ye blessed of my Father. Amen. The peace of God, which passeth all human understanding, keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Mm-hmm.